Good morning, Redemption Tucson. It's good to be with you this morning. My name's Corey. I'm one of the elders here, and it's my pleasure to be able to bring you the Word of God today. And I'm excited about what God has to say to us in the book of Amos, which we're going to be looking at. As you may recall, or as you may be aware, we're in the third week of our series on the minor prophets. And so in the first week, we looked at Hosea, and then last week, we looked at Joel. And again, this week, we'll be in the book of Amos. And so let's, let's dig in. Earlier this week, a very dear family friend passed away due to complications from ALS. Late Sunday evening, she passed out and was taken to a Seattle hospital where she was admitted to the ICU and put on a ventilator. Thankfully, there were some available for her. And for some reason, they had to move her around a few times. And between Sunday night and Tuesday night, she had been in the ICU on three different floors. And late Tuesday night, her body just simply wasn't strong enough to continue to breathe. And she passed away and went to be with Jesus. But after she passed... ICU nurses from all three floors where she'd been during her short stay came to see the family. You know, we've heard the stories, even, even here in Tucson, we've heard the stories of how busy and tired and strained the ICU nurses are facing the, all the complications and just the, the overwhelming load from COVID as well, on top of normal health care issues. But yet several of them took the time to come and see this family because they wanted to tell how blessed they were by the time they'd got to spend with our friend. They talked about how much she had impacted them and how special she was. And, the two, and it's amazing to me how much they had been impacted. In the two or so days she had spent in the hospital, most of that time on a ventilator with a tube down her throat, she had managed to bless these nurses so much that they took time out of their overwhelmingly busy day to come and convey appreciation. And we smiled when we heard this because this really isn't anything new for us. It's, it's what we've known of her in the almost 20 years that we've known her, we've watched her humanize the homeless. She's listened to their stories, served them food, and given them worth. She spent countless hours giving dignity to the elderly, caring for them, providing them companionship, some even to their last days. And she was one of the gentlest ladies I've ever known in my life, yet when she encountered injustice, she was fierce. I've never seen her hesitate to step in for somebody who was being mistreated and uh, in any way. And you see, she was after God's heart and all that she did. And as a result, it showed in how well she blessed people. I tell you about her, one, to honor her memory, but more importantly, I believe she is an example of what God is trying to say to the people of Israel through the prophet Amos. I believe she's an example of what he is calling Israel to and subsequently what he's calling us to. Because you see, we live in a world where it's expected that we take care of ourselves, that we, the ends justify the means, and advancing at our other's expenses is often celebrated even if behind the scenes. But you see, this isn't God's way. It wasn't my friend's way. And so he sent Amos to the people of Israel to tell them about that, to explain his way and what he expected from them. And this call on Amos echoes to us today. And really, as we go through this, everything that Amos has to say to the people of Israel can be summarized very simply. Seek God and do good. So let's pray as we jump into Amos and dig in a little bit more to what he had, what he had to say to the people of Israel. 
Mighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the prophet Amos. Father, we thank you for the richness in your scripture that calls out our sin, that calls out where our hearts are prone to go astray. And I pray, Father, that you would speak to us and that we would see through this message to the people of Israel your heart of mercy that underlies. Father, that we would hear your call, that we would turn our hearts towards you, and that we would seek you, and that we would do good. Amen. So as we jump into the book of Amos, if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, I would encourage you just to, to turn there. We'll look at a few passages in Amos as we go through, but you can start in chapter 1. I think it'll be helpful as we begin to uh, just set a little context so that you understand a little bit more about where Israel is at this place in their history and, and kind of what their culture and society was looking like. At this point in their history, they had essentially conquered all of the, the nations surrounding them. They were at the height of their military power. They were very much trusting in their strength of their military. They had a growing sense of nationalism and a nationalistic presence of just really being proud of who they were as a nation and how much they'd been able to subject the nations around them. And through this had come economic prosperity. They were at the height of prosperity. They had begun to turn their hearts towards the pursuit of luxury, towards the pursuit of pleasure at almost any cost. They begin to, to chase the idols of the nations around them. They begin to seek, uh, sexu- begin to practice sexual immorality and, and other just deviant behaviors that were beyond what God's word would call them to say and what the instructions were. And in the midst of this, there was increasing idolatry, as I said. And then they begin to, to be more and more oppressive. In addition to that, they had expectations that the day of the Lord would be coming. And Dave talked about this last week, and we saw the expectation that Israel had for the day of the Lord was that this was the time that God would come and judge the nations around them. It's the time that God would come and put their enemies in their place and would lift them up even higher than where they were at. And he would save them and bring salvation to them further and further. And so they were, they were looking for that day with expectation. And this is where the book of Amos begins. When you, and it's good to know a little bit about Amos while we, we see him as a prophet, he was a shepherd. He makes it very clear as he, teach, as he speaks through this book that he was a shepherd, tending his sheep in the fields of Judah, in the, the southern kingdom of Judah, where some of the tribes of Israel had split. And one day in the middle of the field, God comes and calls him and tells him to go to Bethel, to the, to the northern kingdom of Israel, and to tell them this message. And so he shows up in, in the temple in Bethel, and he begins to tell the leaders what God has told him. And he begins, as you'll see if you read chapter 1, talking about all the nations, about Edom, about Gaza, about Moab, about the Ammonites, and how God's judgment is going to come upon them. And I can only imagine they were just like, man, here it is. The day of the Lord is coming. They were so excited. They were really thrilled to hear about God's judgment out there. But it's interesting, if you look at a map of, of that land, you'll see that each of these countries, and almost the way Amos tells it, it circles the kingdom of Israel. And then in the last moment, Amos turns and God turns his judgment to the people of Israel. They weren't too excited by that. Suddenly they were not sure what to do about judgment in here. And so they began to push back at at Amos. They began to challenge him. But what was it? So I want to look at Kind of in that context, what were the things that God was trying to say to Israel 
And really, three questions come to mind. What is God's accusation? What is it that God was so upset about with the people of Israel? And what was the purpose that God was working towards behind the scenes that, that prompted him to be so upset with them? And then lastly, what, what, what is it that God wanted them to do? When they hear this message, what is it that he expected of them to do in response? And so let's look through these and kind of see what God has to say to Israel. And I think you'll see as we go through this, there's a lot of parallels in Israel and where they were in that day and where we are in our culture and our society today. And I know as I read this, this book of Amos shaped me and shook me in ways that I was totally unexpected. There's so much in here to, to look and to see. And every time I read through the passages, I see just more and more of what God is trying to say and what he's calling out. And I see how much it parallels where we're at today. So I would encourage you to just open your heart, open your ears and the eyes of your spirit to really hear from God and what he's saying, because I think it is very applicable to us. So what is God's accusation? What is his problem with the people of Israel? Well, let's look at Amos chapter 3, verse 2. And this is really a key verse in the book of Amos. And actually, I'll, I'll start reading with verse 1. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. And listen to this. You only have I known of all the families, of all the nations, of all the peoples of the earth. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So what God is, is alluding to there is the call of Abraham. If you look at Genesis chapter 12, you'll see that God called Abraham out, that God called him to be the father of many nations, and that he told Abraham that through his seed, all nations would be blessed. And so from the beginning, from, from the early chapters of the, of the Bible in Genesis, we see that God has a heart for the nations, and that he's working, that he's called out one nation to be a blessing to all of the other nations around them. But as we see, if you look at Amos in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, what was the problem that, they had, that God had with them? For three transgressions of Israel, in verse 6, chapter 2, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. And what you see is that Israel has become a nation of oppression. Rather than being a nation called out to bless, they had become so caught up in idolatry, so caught up in their luxury, so caught up in, in all of the things that they had and the, the, the privileges that they were sitting in that they had forgotten their calling and were beginning to seek after material things and luxury and pleasure at the cost of people. They were oppressing people, exploiting people, marginalizing for their own comfort and pleasure. And this, God was not happy with. Now, if you look through the entire book of Amos, you'll see that this theme carries through and all the accusations that God makes to the people of Israel. It's about how they are allowing and, and, and perpetrating injustice around them. But where, where are the roots of that? And God, 
not so much deals with this in Amos, but as we saw in the first week when Jake preached and, taught and brought us the, the book of Hosea, Amos and Hosea were contemporaries roughly, speaking to Israel at about the same time. And if you remember from that message, Hosea was calling out the adultery of the people of Israel. It's the reason why God had Hosea marry a prostitute. He wanted Israel to understand that the underlying root of all of these problems is their heart had turned away from God. They might still be worshiping, they might still be going through the motions at the temple and, and even building the temple up, but in their hearts they were seeking after someone else. And then the last thing in God's accusation is that they were resisting rather than repenting. If you look at Amos chapter 4 and verse 9, just one of several, you'll see just as an example, he says, I stuck, struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, and the locusts devoured, yet you did not return to me. And that phrase, yet you did not return to me, he echoes five times in a row through five different accusations. And see, what God is saying is like he was trying to get their attention for all these many years, even with the prophet Hosea, he's trying to get their attention and call them back to him. But rather than responding in repentance, they began to resist. They began to push back. They began to seek the, the idolatry and the pleasures even more. And all the while, they believed that their temple worship was keeping them secure and just fine with God. And he was saying, I'll have none of it. And that's why you see even in the passage that, that Sarah read, he said, I don't want your assemblies. I don't want your music. I don't want your feasts. I don't want any of the things that you go through religious because I've lost your heart. So why does all this matter to God. I mean, obviously, we, we've heard in lots of sermons and lots of scriptures, if you've been around the church, that God doesn't like idolatry, that God wants his heart. But why? And why does it matter to him? And why specifically is he calling out the oppression and the need to be a blessing to nations? Well, if you flip over to chapter 9, and just as a side, Amos is kind of broken up into sections, and so it's different vignettes of things that, that Amos has said. And so there's a little bit of a parallel structure that runs across the whole book, and so you can kind of jump back and forth and piece things together. And in chapter 9, verse 11 and 12, God explains. Now, this is at the end of, of him proclaiming the judgment and the destruction and all the things that he's going to do to punish Israel. He gets to this promise in just the last two paragraphs. But it shows what God's heart and purpose was. He says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen to repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they, Israel, may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. So the first thing to see is that he says the, the booth of David will be raised up. And the word there for raising up, can it's not just about rebuilding it as though it was torn down and he's going to put it back together. But the language that, that Amos is using there is to say, God is going to enlarge the booth of David. He's going to increase the kingdom of David. And what he's talking about is messianic language. He's talking about the kingdom of God. And see, what God is telling the, the Israelites is that I called you out to be a blessing to all nations because I want to enlarge my kingdom and bring the nations into it. And so their actions and their oppression is actually coming against the work and purposes of God. And then even more, if you look down in verse 12, it says that they may possess the remnant of Edom. Now, what does that mean? The word possess, when you first, in some, some things, when you look in, in kind of studying commentaries, they talk about the, uh, 
Edom being one of Israel's enemies, being kind of brought into subjection. But that had already happened here. What, what God is saying through the idea of possess is that the Edomites, as an example, will become the inheritance of the Israelites. And so why Edom? Why did he call out them? Because Edom is the descendant, the, the nation of Edom is the descendants of Esau. They were Israel's biggest enemy. They hated Israel more than anyone else. And what God is saying is like, look, even your biggest enemy will become your inheritance because I'm going to bring a remnant. I'm going to bring believers from that nation, from your enemies into your kingdom. And then not just them, but all nations, but people who are called by my name. And see, what God is showing is that he has redemptive messianic work in, in motion here, and Israel is opposing that, and he's not happy with that at all. And then the last thing to see in this section is, just in the second half of verse 12, is he says, declares the Lord who does this. And what God is saying is, this is my work. This is my purpose. This is my plan. It's nothing you can do. It's nothing that you're a part of or that you can do on your own, but you do have a place to be a part of my work if you'll return to me. So I'm sure Israel hearing this is just thinking, wow, this is not how we saw the day of the Lord going. This is not what, what we had in mind, which is why in, the, in the, the verse that Sarah read, God's saying, why are you looking for the day of the Lord? Do you not realize what it means? It means judgment. It means darkness. So I would hope, and, and, and history would tell us that, that Israel didn't listen much. And in fact, as Amos continued to prophesy, he was opposed, and they basically told him to get out. We didn't want to hear what he had to say. But I hope we would have a different heart. And so the last question I have for us today is, what does God require? What did God want Israel to do? And if we look at our own hearts and see these things are true in us, what would God require and ask of us? And if we turn to to Amos chapter 5, God sets out the course of what he expects from us. And I find it interesting. He doesn't tell them to go back to the temple and to start sacrificing goats or bulls and rams and doves. He doesn't tell them to sing songs and to worship. He doesn't tell them to do any of those things. What he says is, if you look in chapter 5, verse 5, he says, seek me and live. In fact, he says, but don't seek Bethel. Don't go back to the temple. Don't go back to what you've been doing. Seek me that you may live. He's calling them out of their idol worship. He's calling them to return to him and to set their hearts only upon him. And so we have to be careful even in our own lives that we can allow our religious practices, our traditions, our theology, the people that we look up to, to, become, to take the place of God. And so we're not immune to the same things that, what we're, that we're facing Israel. We can fall into those same traps and even think our worship is something God likes when in fact we've turned it into idolatry. And so what God is saying is, seek me. And you see that echoed all the way through the rest of Scripture. You see that echoed in the New Testament. Jesus, it's, it's an echo of Jesus' call to discipleship. Seek me that you may live. And he says it again in verse 6. Seek the Lord, seek Yahweh, that you may live, that you may escape judgment. So what God is calling us first and foremost to do is to seek him, to turn our hearts in that direction. And then in verse 14, he says, seek good and not evil, that you may live. God's calling on Israel to stop the evil oppression, the exploitation, the marginalization, the mistreatment of people, and the perversion of justice in its systems. He's calling them to live out 
His call to be a blessing to all nations. He's calling them to consider others better than themselves, to ensure their social systems treat people well. Because you see, Israel was the kingdom. The laws, they had control of them. But he was saying, make sure your systems of government treat people well. He calls them to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to care for the widows and orphans. These are all echoes we see through the scriptures, and he's driving that point home to them here in the book of Amos. And he says, treat the immigrants and the foreigners well. Show hospitality and love to all people. He's calling Israel to be a blessing and to not be a curse. And then the last thing that God has to say to them in verse 24, and another key verse, and another key statement of God, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Because you see, it's one thing to have faith, It's one thing to seek God and to say that you love him and that you're serving him. But even as James tells us, faith without works, without good deeds, it's useless. And you see Jesus calling us to mix our faith with our actions all the time. Our actions are an evidence of our faith. And so what God is calling them is to let justice roll down like waters, not trickling, not just a little bit, but to flow like water rushing through a river. And what does he mean by justice? Well, the word that Amos uses for justice here is a very broad word. And it it means everything from judicial systems and law, customs and norms, the culture of the society, and even the rights that people could claim or, or not have. And ultimately, if you want to sum that up in one thing, it's rightness or right action rooted in the character of God. And so when God talks about justice, he's talking about, and in this, and the nature of this word too, is about the structural systems and the systemic aspects of a society, not just interpersonal relationships. When God talks about justice here, he's saying those, those aspects of, of, of your civil life need to be rooted in my character. They need to be full of mercy and compassion and love and forgiveness and all of the things, and also the hatred of sin. And then he says, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now the word righteous here, if you look and see how it kind of moves from the Hebrew and into the Greek and the different languages, it's actually a source of where we get the word deacon from. And so God is, God is not just talking about the, the cultural systems of the world, but he's also talking about our interpersonal relationships. And he's calling us to have charity. He's calling us to have compassion. And so the righteousness, and in, in saying the word deacon, it's, it really means to be a servant. And so what God is saying to the people of Israel with this word righteousness is to extend that idea of justice, to fill it with mercy, to fill it with compassion and charity and caring. Every aspect of our lives should demonstrate God's character and nature. And over time, this will be reflected in our society. This will be reflected in our church. This will be reflected in the culture around us. And so when God says, seek him and do good, he's calling us to live out the idea of being blessings to the nations. And every aspect of our lives should demonstrate that. So what's at stake? What's at stake for us? If we read Amos, if we spend our time really pressing into God, if we say, okay, I want to seek you, I want to get this right, what's, what's at stake? What's, what's it matter to us in the end? We see when our hearts are after God, when we seek him beyond our traditions, when we seek him beyond our cultural practices, when we seek him beyond our theology, we receive the fullness of his life. 
and his presence among us. And it's that life within us individually and corporately that flows over into the world. You see, we can, we can trump up blessing. We can go out and do things to try to help people. And that's fine and good. But what God's talking about is, is a righteousness that flow, that's an overflow of his life in us. And so when we seek God and do good, we're basically bringing the presence of God into this world. And that's what the kingdom of God is all about. But on the flip side, what happens if we choose not to listen? If we continue in the ways that we are, pressing into our idols, letting in an idol is just anything or any person that's not God that we give our reverence to or our allegiance to other than God. And what God is saying clearly through the book of Amos is that we can expect judgment and wrath, that we can lose the reward of his presence and find ourselves as you know, David crying out, take not your Holy Spirit from me. We can find ourselves losing God's presence. But even worse, or even more, idolatry overflows and breeds injustice and immorality. Even if you took, we're listening to the town hall uh, where Wayne shared with us on uh, Tuesday night. He, he made a statement in there that said that all systemic oppression has idolatry at its heart. And that's really what Amos is saying to Israel. Their idolatry has overflowed in injustice. And so if we don't, hear, don't heed God's word, we can expect even from the church to see more injustice flowing into our society. And we can expect God to oppose us. So what do we do with all of this? What can we take away? I have two things for us today. And the first is examine your heart. It's easy when you hear these words to be like Israel and just say, turn it off, get out, I don't want to hear from you. But I would encourage you to press into God and examine your heart. Ask him to expose, just the, even this week, one area where you're putting something else ahead of him and to help you see how that's impacting your, your, your relationship with him and your ability to be a blessing. And the second thing I would encourage you to do this week is look for somebody different than you. Look for someone who's marginalized or impoverished or in, in some way just not who you would normally even given, give the time of day to, and take a minute to humanize them. Call out the image of God within them. Dignify them. Care for them. You know, in this time, day and age when we're, you know, racial reconciliation is so much in, in, in the front of our, of our minds and, and the issues that come with that, it can be as simple as calling an African-American brother and sister and saying, I'm sorry for the experience that you're going through. I want to help. I want to listen. It's just anything to, you can do to give someone else the dignity and worth that God sees in them and to call that out. And I would encourage you to try that this week and see what happens. You know, ultimately, to go back to the story of my friend who, who passed away this week, you know, this kind of life, what I've even encouraged you to do is how she lived every day. And it's really the thing that we're happy for her. She's with Jesus, and I, and I couldn't be happier for her, but we miss her because... This is the kind of blessing she brought into every day. And I want to encourage this with the vision that you know, it says in Scripture that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it, it can't multiply and spread. And I would just encourage, as you think about the story that I told you, as you think about my friend, that we would, we would be inspired to multiply her life by seeking God and doing good, that the fruit of her labors would multiply in us. And imagine what your sphere of influence would look like if spending a few moments with people, not even being able to talk to them, bless them so much, 
that they would go out of their way to give thanks for that. Imagine what our society would look like. Imagine what our churches would look like if we were lifting up Jesus in that way. Jesus said if he'd be lifted up, he would draw all people to himself. And ultimately, that's what God is calling Israel and calling us to do, is to lift up Jesus. How might God be glorified and all people's blessed? How might Jesus be more visible if we would just continue to remember to seek God and to do good? Let's pray. Mighty God, we thank you for the word from Amos. Father, sometimes it's hard to hear our sin. It's hard to see the things that we think are okay in our lives that we've justified or, or rationalized. Father, to see the paradigms that we live in suddenly be flipped on us and that we, it can be disorienting. And Father, our first reaction is so often like Israel's to resist and to push back. Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts. I pray that you would expose in us individually and corporately where we have turned our hearts away from you. And I pray, Father, that you would call us back. I pray, O oh God, that you would meet with us and that you would truly make not just our church, but the ch all the churches in our city and all the churches in the world instruments of your blessing. Father, that we would walk in the calling that you gave, even beginning with Abraham, to bless all nations. And Father, now let's not look with disdain on those who are different or, or in a different station from us, but let us bless and dignify them. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might walk in that truth and in that life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.